I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome. This is the Writer's Routine, the creative person's podcast, where we start with a bed of idle coffee shop jazz. Yes, hello, this is the Writer's Routine podcast. Uh, my name is Dan Simpson. Now, in every episode, we're looking at what makes creatives tick, how writers work and how authors manage to use their time to be as creative and efficient as they can be. Because it's not the same as, you know, your regular nine to five. You, right now, might have storylines, characters, twists, plots in your head. But what gives writers the dedication to get it down on paper and then the persistence to get that published? Very simply, the question is, how do they work? How does their day go? Every week, we'll be chatting to different authors and answering that question, finding out what they do. In this series, we've got a Czech debutant uh, who was selected by the Hay Festival as one of 30 people who could change the world. Uh, We've got an author who was tasked with bringing back Dennis the Menace. And we will speak to an author who turned an experience of online trolling into a best-selling crime series. Also, we'll get some tips and tricks along the way if you're starting writing and struggling a little bit. And in every episode, we will hear a wonderful and kind of weird writer's routine from history in our feature, Distinguished Diaries. That's coming up in a little bit. First, we're chatting to an author who has sold over 35 million books. In today's episode of The Writer's Routine, we're talking to Karen Slaughter about her daily ritual. Now, Karen has had 17 books published. She sold over 35 million of them, right? She's an internationally best-selling author. Uh, she's known for her no-nonsense and provocative stories. She's one of the most popular crime writers out there today. She's a big deal to have as our first guest on the podcast. The Will Trent and Grant County stories, uh, they got a rather huge loyal follow and they'll be really happy she's got a brand new book out at the moment it's called the good daughter now it's set in small town america it's about two sisters called charlie and sam their mum gamma and their relationship with their father who's a defense lawyer and he convinces juries that criminals who maybe should be in prison should actually be free now that's simplistic it's a bit more complex than that and it i promise it starts with one of the most page turning and shocking openers that i've ever read 
It's about crime, it's about mystery, vengeance, all of that good stuff. Now, I need to preface this interview very quickly uh, by saying right before I started chatting to Karen, they sat me in a room with her while she quickly did another interview with a separate radio station, much worse one, I'm sure, over the phone. And to get her recording levels right, so she was loud enough over the phone through the air, uh, she recited for the interviewer on the line a passage from Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, a roll doll story that she last read when she was eight and that peculiar bit of memory seemed like quite a good place to start one two one two yeah, yeah. by the way you um i can't believe that you still have remembered so much from charlie in the great glass elevator i loved it yeah is that yeah. your favorite willy wonka book uh yeah i like it better than the chocolate factory actually when was the last time you read it oh god when i was Eight or nine, maybe oh, ten. Yeah, and I can't believe that you've got that kind of memory. You know. Yeah, it's it's good, but it's also bad. <laughs> I'm trying to start all all of these episodes in the same kind of way with the same question, which is, tell me what you see when you look around you at the place where you sit down to write. Well, I I I kind of have a cave. Um, I don't have my window shades open. I I have a cabin in the mountains, um, but. I have to kind of block that out. So I'm in my office. The tile is uh, a kind of uh, charcoal, very modern looking uh, tile floor. And I have some bookcases that are in a kind of modern green. And that's across from me. And I sit in a recliner and my desk is opposite because I don't sit at my desk and write. I sit in a recliner and recline back because it's better for my back. So what do you do on the desk, though? Uh, stuff like this. I do a lot of interviews and blogs and, you know, I, sometimes I'll edit at my desk or things like that. But for the most part, when I'm doing my serious writing, I just need to be disconnected from my desktop and I sit and I learned to put, I got this, this really, uh, strange metal thing that goes under my laptop because I see you're on a Mac too. If they get hot, they start, stop working. Uh, and at one point it was in the winter and it was snowing outside and, and I was hanging my laptop out the window to cool it down and I almost dropped it uh, with my entire book on it, on, like a, a chapter away from finishing it. So I got this thing to put it on that helps air circulate when it's in my lap. And, and how far is, is the cave in the mountains away from where you normally live in Atlanta? About uh, two hours, so not that far. And it, is it a deal where you where you go there there and back every day, or do you kind of squirrel yourself away? No, I stay there. It's it's the cabin. You know, it's a regular cabin, and I I stay there for two or three weeks at a time. And I just get up in the morning. I go to that chair. I start writing, and I keep writing until I can't write anymore. Then I go to sleep, and then I wake up and do it again. Is it really that simple? I mean, tell me about your average day then. When, when you are stuck in the cabin, you, you've woken up for, from the moment you open your eyes and it's a full day full of writing. Talk to me about that. It's exhausting. I mean, it's a really stupid way to do it, uh, but it's how I've always done it because I had a full-time job, so I had to work in these really intense spurts. But, you know, when you talk about writing, there's two parts to writing for me. There's thinking about the story and there's sitting down and physically writing the story. And the thinking part, is almost mentally the more challenging part because, you know, it's it takes a couple of years sometimes, or with The Good Daughter, for instance, it took about three years for me to get it in my brain to a place where I was ready to write that story. So just the sitting down part was not the hard part. 
And are you factoring this time locked away in the cabin into your preparations? So say, for instance, today you had an idea, like a brief flicker of a, of a story. Are you then thinking, right, two years later, I'll go up to my cabin and I'll get that down? How does that work? You know, it, no, it doesn't work like that. I just, whenever the story's ready to be written, I have to listen to it. And I do a book a year, so I, I kind of focus my thinking about uh, the story that I'm working on currently. But always in the back of my head, there are these other characters and, you know, possible plots, things I want to do. Sometimes I'll scribble a note down uh, for future me to follow up on. I'm very directed in my work. Work. The Good Daughter is um, over 500 pages long. Yes. How much planning and plotting do you do before you sit down and start writing to make sure that everything you've got is in there? Because when you're writing kind of a volume that's this size, it must be so hard for, for things to get lost in your brain, for you to not remember stuff's happened. Have you got a system of plotting and planning? Well, you know, I mean, I remember a poem I memorized when I was eight years old, so I'm pretty good at retaining stuff. So for me, you know, I do write down things, and I I don't do an outline per se. I have, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens. But books exist on many different levels. So there's the emotional level, there's the suspense level, there's the plot level, there's the character level, right? And so those kinds of things have to feel very organic, but my thinking time is devoted to how I'm going to blend those four different things together to make it a compelling story so that you as a reader aren't saying, oh, well, this is the part with the plot and this is the part with the character development. And this, you know, it, so it seems very seamless. So a lot of work goes into just thinking about the different beats of the novel, you know, where the big action is going to happen, where the emotional action is. And, and especially when I'm doing a standalone, you know, I'm kind of meeting this character over the, the course of 500 pages. So when I finish a character that's a new character, I always go back and I reread the book just for that character because I want to make sure in this instance the Charlie or the Sam or the Rusty or the Gamma you meet at the beginning of the story is the same one at the end of the story that they haven't their character hasn't taken such a radical departure that you don't recognize them. And how much do you know about each character before you sit down to start writing? Well, you know, I feel like I know everything and I don't always share all their secrets because that's the fun part for me is is having those secrets in my head and being the master of when they're, they're dispensed. But with something like this, there are a lot of secrets in the book that haunt the characters and define who they are in many ways. And that's just, it's always in my head. And when I'm thinking about where... The revelations are going to come because that's part of the the interesting thing. You know, I, I'm I'm a big Flannery O'Connor fan, and she talked about the mystery of character. And so I think that you you always in the beginning of a book have a question about a character that needs to be answered by the end, even if it's who exactly is this person. So those are the sorts of things I think about when I'm putting these details in. And also, it's important not to, to to have only the really relevant details because those will stand out so much that you'll figure out what I'm doing. Every character I write feels like a real human being to me. And I want my readers to feel that way. And there are a lot of things we know about our friends, for instance. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you have a best friend. And when you first met this person, you really hit it off and you got along. But you didn't know everything about him or her. 
were, right? That took years. And it's probably sometimes still they do something that surprises you. And, and that's just how real people are. And I try to put that in character. How much do you consciously make a decision of how you're going to write what tone you'll take with your book or are you just writing the way that Karen Slaughter wants to write I think you should always write the kind of book you want to write I mean I think Jim Patterson does a fantastic job telling stories you know and in his chapters maybe one page but you're really you want to ch- turn to the next page right and that works for what he's doing and for his readers but I always think that it's important for a writer when they start writing to decide what kind of writer am I going to be and I I want to be a very realistic writer. I want to show crime for what it is. And part of the way I pull readers into the story and make them understand the impact of crime and feel the shock of violence and understand the fallout from that and the things that crime changes is to make you care about the characters. You know, if if you didn't care about the characters, none of this would be as as relevant to you. It wouldn't resonate with you as a reader. Talking of uh, Jim Patterson, he said that your the book The Good Daughter is your most ambitious and emotional novel so far. What did you think it would be when you first sat down to start writing? Had you any idea uh, how big this book would be, whether it would be your, your biggest and best work to date? You know, I don't really think about the end result when I'm writing a novel. I, I, I love my readers. They're great. I talk to them on Facebook and all that all the time. But I never I just I don't want to think about who they are. I don't want to think about reviewers or anything like, or even my publishers. I just sit down and I tell the story I want to tell. But about a third of the way through this novel when I I started writing and I write chronologically. Page 1 is the first page I wrote, last page I wrote is the last page. And I thought I'm I'm I just had this sense that I was doing something a little different from my usual. I mean, all the crime elements are there and there's sex and violence and that kind of good stuff, but you know, I just I there was this potential to tell a broader story about society, about poverty, about family, about community. This was the first time in many years I wrote about a small town. And small towns have changed a lot in in America since I started writing about them. And I wanted to bring that breadth of knowledge to it. And as a writer, sometimes you feel more confidence in a story than in others. And I felt very confident about the scope of this work. We will be back with part two of our Karen Slaughter interview in just a sec, where she talks about her research for the book and how she wanted to write a story about the people paid to defend the indefensible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. By the way, if you've enjoyed like the first 10 or so minutes of the writer's routine, uh, it would be fantastic to know if you're listening to this on iTunes especially, leave me a review let me know what you think, and then, even if I disagree and you're wrong, um, I know you're there. So at least that's a start, I guess. So that's the admin done, just in time to get a retro writer's routine. This is Distinguished Diaries, where we look at the daily routine of a notable creative from history. And this is done mainly, by the way, with the help of various blogs online and also with Mason Curry's superb book, Daily Rituals. If you're interested in all of this, I absolutely recommend you need to pick that up. Today, it's the routine of possibly one of the most leading, I guess, doers ever. Benjamin Franklin was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. In doing that, he helped write one of the most important documents in history, the Declaration of Independence. He also published 16 books, including one on the merits of farting, what you do in your own time is fine with me. Uh, He was also a leading politician, Freemason, postmaster, diplomat. Uh, He helped discover electricity, invented bifocal glasses. I know a lot of this is pretty simplistic in how I'm explaining it, but basically he was an important, creative man who, it turns out, stuck pretty rigidly to a routine. So in his autobiography, Ben Franklin, he outlined a 13-week plan to achieve moral perfection, as he called it. He devoted one week to a particular virtue, like temperance, moderation, cleanliness, and the thought was in that week, he would be perfect in that virtue, then it would become a habit, and he'd be amazing and then move on to the next thing. It worked to a degree, but he found that he had to refresh his virtues and his habits every couple of years. Also in his autobiography, he detailed how he would get things done in his day. Uh, He would sleep for seven hours from 10 o'clock. Then at five, he would rise in the morning and ask himself the question, what shall I do this day? After, I assume, figuring out the answer. Uh, From 8 o'clock he would work, uh, be this writing, inventing, doing more virtuous things. Then at 12 o'clock he would uh, read, eat, look over his accounts. This guy was always very busy, doing really important things. Then from 2 o'clock, more work until 5, before an evening of asking himself more questions like, What good have I done today? His autobiography says he would then put things in their places. He would eat, he would have music, conversation, and a thorough, important examination of the day before seven more hours of sleep. This guy was a titan. I mean, you can't really take an autobiography at full face value. I mean, come the day that I write mine, I'm certainly not going to talk about how most of my evenings are spent searching through Deliveroo and failing half of Netflix and chill. I might jazz it up a little bit more. Still, his life achievements, though, shows that he got things done, he knew how to, and he was a pretty avid sticker to a routine, which shows that making and following a plan is often extremely helpful for your creativity, and it makes you get things done, which is good. 
because that's kind of the point of the podcast. Speaking of a writing routine being like the main point of this show, uh, it's back to Karen Slaughter now, the author of the brand new crime novel, The Good Daughter, who hasn't really answered the main question that we're here to settle. When you're up in your um, in, in the cabin, we've kind of touched on the daily routine. I kind of want to firm that out a bit more just because that's the point of the podcast. Uh, so how many words do you think you, you kind of get done? Uh, I don't go by words. I go by pages. And they're American pages, so they're a little shorter. Um, but in a good day, I can do 20 or 30 pages. And how long are you writing for? Well, you know, I take lots of naps. Um, and sometimes I just kind of stare vacantly at the ceiling or something like that. But all told, a day can be anywhere from 12 hours to 16 to 18 hours. And if I have one of those really long days, I generally don't sleep very well. So I'll get up late the next day and sometimes I'll eat breakfast and then take a nap. So I'm, I'm really, I love writing. I know writing comes uh, very difficult for some writers and they really struggle with the blank page and all of that. But for me, it's just, it's a, it's, in some ways it's a pleasure in other ways it's very painful to do it just because it's so exhausting and mentally i have to be in this place where i'm i'm feeling what the characters feel and i know what they're doing and i know what's coming and how horrible it's going to be and i i just get very emotionally involved in the story so it you know if anything it gets harder with each book because i from the very first book i told my editor who's still my editor i want to get better with every book and that's really how I measure success. I mean, it's great to be number one and sell lots of books and all of that. But to me as a writer, I need to be getting better because that's the whole point of doing this is telling a different story, talking about communities, talking about society in a different way, because that's what crime fiction does. It holds a mirror up to society. And, and how do you make sure you are getting better between each book before you started writing The, the Good Daughter? How were you reflecting on your previous work and what were you trying to do differently? Well, I don't use as a gauge reviews. I think that could probably sink you. Um, it's just my gut feeling. And I also think that as as I've written more books, you have to say to yourself, this is the best book I could write at this moment in my life because every moment is different. And as you get older, your opinion about things changes and uh, you take a different tact, especially with writing. You look at it differently. You look at it as more uh, of a craft and as an an instrument uh, to talk about society. But it it does get more difficult because it's it's actually not even the the crime because there's so many crimes I could write about. It's, It's not hard to find one. Um, it's how the characters are going to approach it and how I'm going to tell it in a different and new way. 17 books down, and if you're trying to get better, surely that means you've noticed stuff in your own writing that you can improve on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I don't go back and read my books because I probably would kill myself. (laughs) Um, I I was asked to read uh, for uh, an anniversary of the publication of the first book. I was asked to read something for the audio book and I was just cringing the whole time. And I, I just, I think it's because, you know, age, unfortunately, uh, you get older, you look at things differently and, and you do something repeatedly, hopefully you get better at it. So I was just editing in my head. They finally had to stop me because I was just, I had flop sweat and I was kept trying to edit as I was reading. And they said, look, just read it on the page. Pretend like it's somebody else's. Every author does this. What did you notice that you were doing that you said to yourself, I need to edit this in future? 
Um, well, every author has words that they like. I try to put the word snick in every book, uh, and finally a reader noticed that. Um, but I, you know, if you, that's how they date Shakespeare's plays, right? Is word repetition. And I'm very mindful of that. So I try, I, I, when I'm writing, I think, oh wait, this is something you've said before. This is some, this is something that's a very, familiar phrase for you you need to find something else and that's that's kind of difficult but it's also a fun challenge i have um this whole collection of uh urban dictionaries from many many years that i've collected since before i started writing and i especially if i'm writing something that takes place in the past a lot of times i'll use a phrase or a word that was really popular in 1974 and then i'll make a note of it if i like it and try to incorporate it in something in present day to try to bring the word back how do you think you've changed the way you work as an author? So a year ago, there were all these studies about really famous musicians and athletes and that they really, if you, lo- if you looked at, the, at their work habits, their output, like a Tiger Woods before the fall um, or a Michael Jordan or whatever, that they really worked intensely for about four hours a day. And, and practice four hours a day. And, and that was kind of the magic number, was every day they did it for four hours. And then the rest of the time, like uh, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, that's what he did. You know, he would nap and he would cor- do correspondence and other things when uh, during his day. But he only worked for four hours. And, you know, I, I, I thought, God, I feel really bad now because all these really successful people who have lived on, their names have lived on, they had this four hours that was this golden four hours, and I don't have that. And I started paying attention, and, you know, really, my high productivity is about four hours a day, uh, and the rest of it is thinking, editing, you know, looking at previous stuff. That You know, so I, I felt a little better after that because I do think that, you know, if you do work intensely, you can get to the point where you're not even making sense. There's actually a scientific uh, phrase for it, semantic saturation, uh, where you don't, you can't see the words anymore. You're just so into it. And uh, I, I try to avoid that, but it, working so many hours, there's that tendency. Now, I don't know what you know, like your knowledge in your mind, but uh, having read quite a bit of The Good Daughter, I get the impression that, a lot of the stuff that goes on, the details, you didn't know. You've had to do quite a bit of research mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? Where did you start? Who did you go to to learn about track and field, to learn about the, the things that go on in, um, in, the, in the police force? I did talk to some people who have worked on the, the particular crime that happens in the present day part of the book. And I talked to people on both sides of that crime, uh, the, the people in the prosecution and the agents, and then a defense lawyer who defended someone who committed this crime. And, you know, it was really interesting because I, I think everybody understands prosecution, but they don't necessarily understand defense because they think you're just getting bad people off so they can do bad things again. But a lot of times defense lawyers think of themselves as just leveling the playing field. And I had a conversation with this one woman who in particular does juvenile cases. And she said, you know, a kid can have a bag of weed in his car and he gets pulled over for a traffic stop and the cop finds it. He could go to jail for 10 years. And she said, my job is to make sure that kid's life isn't ruined. Is he guilty? Yes. 
Does he need to be punished? Yes, he broke the law, but he doesn't need to be in jail, right? So it, that made sense to me because I thought most people don't think about those kinds of what I think of as low-level crimes ruining your life. And if, if you're not a criminal when you go to prison, you are when you come out. Uh, so that's the kind of thing I wanted to talk about. And I talked about, you know, I talked to doctors. I talked to people in rehab for brain injury. I, it, it's sort of like when you do your leaving exams at school, you're never going to know as much about the Fairy Queen uh, in your lifetime as you did right there at that moment. And I've forgotten a lot of it already. Let me ask you one final very quick question. It, it's a bit of a random one, but it's something I've always been interested in. The dedication mm-hmm. at the front of your book. Do you start with that? Is that something at the end? Does that play on your mind the whole way through your writing or is it just almost random? It's not random, but, you know, it's it's a Flannery O'Connor quote. And she was a very complicated woman. She was very opinionated. And there's a character very much like that in the novel. And life is difficult for really intelligent women. You know, really smart guys are celebrated. Really intelligent women are considered difficult. And I thought that quote just really worked with what that character was doing. Ending with the dedication that's at the start. Uh, That's Karen Slaughter on her writing routine and the authors that have inspired her to sell 35 million copies of her books. If that's inspired you, her book, The Good Daughter, it's out right now. Fascinating, an absolute page turner. And as I say, The Start is one of the most shocking, bewildering openers to a book that I've ever read. So thank you hugely to Karen Slaughter for coming on the show, being our first guest. Uh, That's it, actually, for the first episode of the Writer's Routine podcast. Thank you for having a listen. Hope you enjoyed it. We're back next week with an actor who was tasked with bringing back Dennis the Menace. Remember, you can let me know what you think of the show on iTunes by leaving a review on the podcast store. And you can email me anything you fancy, any authors you'd like me to try and chat to, any questions you want to ask them. Uh, The email address is writersroutine at gmail.com. No apostrophe in the writers, by the way. I know that's annoying for the pedants, but it doesn't quite work in email addresses. Yeah, that is writersroutine at gmail.com. And that's about it for the first episode of the show. Thanks for listening to the Writer's Routine podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.